Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, a show about weirdos, with your hosts, John Fahey, Aaron Peter, and Matt Brutzow. Hello folks, welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, it's a gall darn show about weirdos. My name is John Fahey. Joining me, the prettiest young human under the sun, never to be fucking seen by eyes undeserving, my friend, Aaron Joseph Pita. Hello there, Aaron. Hi, welcome to Scumbag This American Life. I'm your co-host and high-functioning pervert, Aaron Pita. Now, Aaron Pita, talk to me about the man sitting to your right. The man sitting to my right can hardly be described with words audible by human ears. <laughs> Fact. Perhaps some sort of visual communication system akin to that of Close Encounters of the Third Kind or mm. the motion picture Arrival. Mm. Maybe some sort of nonverbal communication like that could maybe conceivably describe the majesty and decorum of the human Entity sitting at my three o'clock. The glory of Matt Brusso. Oh, hi. Yeah, that's me, folks. Um, we should try words, though, because it is a podcast. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes no? you want to tell these motherfuckers they don't even understand words. Okay, that's fair. You know what I mean? Hey, I'm just happy to be here. It's been too long. It has been too long. It has been. Oh. I missed it. We've uh, missed you guys yes. listening for a week. We love you very much. Uh, I shipped out a whole shitload. If you're waiting for a shirt, the shirts got shipped out uh, yesterday, which is Friday. Post yeah. is paid. Uh, July 6th. Boom. Um, and uh, yeah, the rest of the shit is, is, is uh, to come in the next uh, handful of days. Uh, but yeah, we are um, swiftly about to achieve our first goal. What's that? $700 a month. No. From subscribers. What? Woof. We're in, uh, once achieved, we will make a video based on uh, the Freaks of the Teak. Oh. That's what's going down. We'll level up. Yeah, we're going to level up. We're going to step it up, and we're all going to get stepped up, and it's going to be dope. <laughs> and uh, I am, uh, I'm very, very, very excited about this episode. I've missed you guys a lot. And uh, this this episode, we're going to do a little three-way. We're going to run a train on the episode, oh. which, um, you know, we all love to nut, and we all love to piss, and we're going to do all that. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, man. Whoa. <laughs> you know, it is warm hydrated. in here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, and it's very warm. It's Oof. very, very hot in Los Angeles. Yeah, gee, many Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the trains are, you know, running slow. <laughs> but, what? Aaron, you're going to set what it off. Fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The trains are running slow. It's so hot. It's so hot that I'm hot. The train's slow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Slow down this train. <laughs> Please. Mm, daddy, no. Aaron, uh, I want you to set it off. You want me to set this I shit off? I want you, I want man. you to set it off, man. Here's a deal, man. <laughs> I'm looking for hot guard guys. You know how much I love drugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You do love drugs. I uh-huh. do. You love yes. uh, 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 chemical challenges. Yes, yes. I like to consider uh, chem- um, you know, chemical teachers. Yes. Um, you know, on one of the Patreon episodes, I think, or, or maybe it was even one on one of the um, standard free issue Episodes. I played a little clip of Michael Pollan, the author, mm-hmm. describing him yes. urinating while he was on mushrooms yes, for the first yes, time. Yes, yes. And uh, from his book, the book uh, "How to Change Your Mind," uh, it's a guide to the new science of psychedelics, etc. He uh, he talks about a, a gentleman, and I did a little bit of research on this fellow, a gentleman by the name of Albert Hubbard. 
Yes. A.K.A. Captain Trips. Mm. A.K.A. the Johnny Appleseed of LSD. Mm. Uh-huh. Two good names. Yes. Well, and if you like Albert Hubbard, three. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and so before Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band... Before Timothy Leary, before Ken Kesey's band and Merry Pranksters and their electric Kool-Aid acid tests, before the Grateful Dead, before people like us are plugging Molly up our bums at oh, raves. Yeah, yeah. Guys like us. <laughs> there was Albert Hubbard, the original Captain Trips. And um, he was born dirt poor in, uh, in Kentucky, the hills of Kentucky. Um, in either 1901 or 1902. Who's to say? Who's to say? The <laughs> FBI lists him having both dates. So he's got an FBI file, right? <laughs> right. And um, yeah. listen, fi- the investigation's very deep there in the Federal Bureau. <laughs> yeah, 1901 or two. Who's to say? I don't know. He never got past the third grade. Oh, come on. But uh, he was always like very interested in and adept at like electronics. And, mm. um, and, and so you got to understand this is like 1912, 13, 15. Um, you know, kind of around that Jack Parsons era where there's just like this open um, landscape of technology that anyone could just kind of, that, that was right for the taking. And so he really dove head, head first into um, the electronics and stuff. And when he was really, really young, he, he came up with this kind of, this little battery, he called it the Hubbard Energy Transformer that was powered by radioactivity and technology that hitherto then had unbeknownst before <laughs> ever been understood. Right. And uh, he, he developed that. Yes, he developed that. And it was, he sold, uh, he, he patented it and sold half interest in the patent for like $100,000, $75,000, which at the time was a mint. Um, but it was most likely just, you know, bullshit. You know, a bullshit invention. It didn't work. Nah, I mean, it, it maybe, you know, ran a clock or something, but it was just probably some cool device at the time that kind of blew people's minds. He put okay. a potato in metal. Yeah, I, pretty much. He put, yeah. he stuck a couple electrodes in a <laughs> yeah. potato. On a sunny day. Put some piss in it or something. <laughs> you know, he, ever since then, he kind of, be, he was a little bit of a scoundrel. And so, uh, during Prohibition, he would, he became a taxi driver. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, and he would be driving around Seattle, but what he was really doing was he had this like very uh, sophisticated ship to shore radio in the trunk, and he would alert uh, bootleggers to uh, like ATF enforcement presence in order for them to get rum and alcohol off the boats and onto and onto the docks, and he would he would take his cut that way. Um, under the guise of being a uh, a taxi driver, um, he eventually uh, got busted and served eighteen months in prison on a smuggling charge. And then he, uh, but it, it was always weird. Like this is where they think he maybe Albert kind of maybe got involved with law enforcement as kind of a double agent kind of guy because um, later he became involved in an undercover operation to ship heavy arms from San Diego, sent from San Diego to Canada and on to Britain in the years before the U.S. entered World War II. Mm. Um, and then scouts for the OSS, which is the precursor to the CIA, recruited him for his electronics expertise. I guess they really like this bullshit battery that he made, right. you know? So they recruited him, and, and, and this is more further, like, him kind of being, like, this, maybe a liaison between the two worlds, right? Right. Um, 
He then uh, he fled to Vancouver to avoid prosecution by the FBI for some other bullshit, some other scoundrelous shit. The people he was working for. Well, he was with the OSS. Yeah. Okay, okay, the precursor to the CIA. Right, 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 right. right, right. Um, and everyone knows that the FBI and the CIA. They don't share. No. No, that was no, a big no, problem no. for 9-11. It was. What's that? 9-11? I'll tell you later. I forgot. It's, a, it's this whole thing. Oh, you know, it's powered I, I, by a battery. I, for, I forgot. <laughs> a big battery. So he, fl- he goes to Vancouver, becomes a citizen, uh, and there he he founds a, a charter boat business. Oh, no, and with the boats. With the boats, dude. These people, <laughs> these, Hubbards these with Hubbards the boats. These with the boats. You're telling me. <laughs> um, and... Um, he starts making a lot of money, and then he becomes he gets involved with this like uranium mining operation. Mm. He becomes like their science. Director. Wait, where? Vancouver. Okay. And so this is, um, you know, this is like right as the U.S. is getting into the war. So he's mining on this uranium. He's in Canada. He he gets he becomes rich beyond his wildest dreams. He, he makes a small fortune. Uh, people think he probably supri- supplied uranium to the Manhattan Project. Right. Um, so by the age of 50, he was a millionaire, an owner of a fleet of aircraft, a 100-foot yacht, a Rolls-Royce, and a private island off of Vancouver. Jesus. Um, during the war, uh, he came back to the U.S. and rejoined the OSS just before they became the CIA. Um and he was uh, he was an ardent Catholic, uh, but he had this like very distinct like mystical side to him, mm-hmm. and um, he he had a vision uh, one day that uh, like I guess this like angel <laughs> spoke to him that something is coming to Earth, something will be manifest that is going to change the future forever, and you have the opportunity. To be the steward of this thing. Oh my God! Right, and that's, so, a, that's a pyramid scheme. Exactly. <laughs> well, but I mean, a lot of a lot of people throughout history have had kind of visions like this. Like Joan of Arc had, you know, she mm-hmm. had a vision that she was supposed to do. Yeah, uh, but she didn't give us acid. No, she did not. <laughs> yeah, this guy had a vision and he came up with and, acid. Uh, uh, Rene Descartes. And it did no, change it, things. Well, he did not come up with it, so I'll get to that. Rene Descartes. Mm-hmm. Descartes had a vision from an angel telling him to measure everything in the world, and he then came up with like. Cartoon. Man, what a specific angel that was! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those math yeah. angels. <laughs> you got to get down on your hands and knees. You got to measure this. You got to measure it. <laughs> you can't just give me like a immediate and everlasting <laughs> ecstasy. Yeah. Measure it. <laughs> I got to do math. Shit. <laughs> So anyway, he, he he while he's with the CIA, kind of becoming this, uh, he's this agent. He's he's also running guns and rum, for <laughs> at the same time being an agent for the ATF. Right. I mean, the guy just was like playing both all sides. Yeah, yeah. He Make your play- money coming and going. Exactly. Um, and at one point, he had worked for the Canadian Special Services, the U.S. Department of Justice, and the FDA. Wow. So all of these other little side gigs, they think maybe was him. All, it all traced back to his work with the CIA. Right. Right. So in 1951, he had that uh, he had that vision. He's hiking in uh, Washington State, and the angel appears to him, tells him all this stuff. Um, and shortly after that, he reads an article about rats who were given LSD. Mm-hmm. So LSD had been invented by this at this point already by Albert Hoffman. 
Um, but he reads this article all about the rats, and he tracks down the researcher, and he cops some of the acid. Mm-hmm. And he takes some of the acid. Oh. Sure. And he has this revelatory experience where he sees the creation of the universe, his parents conceiving him. Well, he, he saw his parents fucking? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's like... Super nice. <laughs> oh shit! I think my dad's about to nut. Is that me? <laughs> do it! Don't wait. <laughs> yeah, do it. His hand starts disappearing like Marty McFly. <laughs> Calm, Dad. <laughs> His mom's like, "Ah, oh, shit in my face!" <laughs> no, no, please don't. I, I mean, wanna, I want to live, but also, but also that'd be cool. <laughs> also, I love facials. <laughs> So this like changed his life, right? And he found he he discovered that he he felt that this was the thing the angel in his vision was talking about, LSD, right? Right. So he persuades Sandoz Labs to give him uh, what I call a shitload of LSD. Mm. Accounts vary. Uh, maybe a two-liter bottle worth of LSD. <laughs> yes. Maybe a whole case of LSD. Yeah. Perhaps a barrel. But Who's I mean, if you know anything. <laughs> A two-liter bottle of LSD. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like, how concentrated is the LSD? You know uh, what I mean? Well, 100 micrograms is a standard, like, medium dose. Uh-huh. Um, a so mi- a swig. What's a swig? A swig? From a two-liter bottle. A swig <laughs> might dissolve you into a being of pure energy <laughs> and light. <laughs> A microgram is like less than a drop out of a dropper. Right. That's probably, I mean, or 100 micrograms is like a, maybe a drop out of a dropper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you smell the dropper. Yeah, you just <laughs> yeah. take a, a whiff. <laughs> you huff LSD. Hell yeah. So then he, he would just, because of all these contacts that he had, he then became the sole connect for LSD in Canada. Um, he had con- contacts with the FDA. He was given an investigational new drug permit, allowing him to conduct clinical research on LSD in the United States. And mind you, he had a third grade education with a rap sheet a mile long. <laughs> right. And he also had a PhD that he got from a diploma mill. Oh, God. <laughs> so not only... So he was the Dr. Captain Trips. Yeah. He, uh, he felt that he was on this mission from God. Um, and he had this like top-down approach to engineer society compared to like... Timothy Leary wanted everyone to tune in, turn off, and drop out, right? And he wanted everyone, like, to take LSD and kind of change society from the bottom up. Hubbard had this idea of doing it from the um, top down. Right. Where, so he went around to, like, people in Fortune 500 companies. <laughs> right. And The uh, lieutenant governor. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he, no. he tried to give J. Edgar Hoover LSD. <laughs> oh, that would have been a, The things he would have thought of. Oh, then, my the, God. Yeah, the, the spooky ideas he would have had. Yeah. So, and J. Edgar would do it. No, Jagger would not do it. He was he was very skeptical of this guy. Right. He was busy putting on women's clothing. Yeah. Yes. You weirdo. <laughs> Cutting a button up on my bustier. <laughs> you know, uh, members of parliament, members of the Catholic Church, people in Fortune 500 companies, like I said, writers, philosophers. Um, I like that idea, though, of going top down. That just means the people in the middle didn't get any. But, like, Leary's right. giving out to, like, the people in the bottom, and he's yeah. giving it top down. Yeah. It's all, you know, we didn't get shit. <laughs> Yeah. We're the fucking middle children of history, right? 
But I mean, I, it is actually a release. It's a, I think it is a smarter idea. It's, it is I mean, because you have influencers. Well, also you're you're giving it to the um, like you know the conservative establishment. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, and, yeah. And and the people that need their minds changed the most. Yes, and the <laughs> yes. people and those people who um, can tip society one way or another. It's just a more efficient way of doing it. When it was all said and done, he gave six thousand people LSD. Jesus. He had dosed that many people. He's like patient zero. Yes. Yeah. Of, uh, but, you know, more positive than... Well, more positive than positive. <laughs> hey! Uh, <laughs> uh, actors, you know, all that. Like more human than human. <laughs> yes. So then, um, so then he meets this guy, Humphrey Osmond, at a yacht club, and then they... Uh, he just meets all these people, right? Sir Humphrey Osmond's hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? Yeah. There's like He's all these like Humphrey you know <laughs> I know you love doctors him. researchers etc. Oh Humphrey Osmond. I was talking to Humphrey Osmond the other day. He loves acid. And um, he he realizes you know you can you can help people with this drug. So yeah. never, never I mean yes the spiritual experience of changing society. But then he he figures that the the, the best way to kind of to get um, acceptance of this drug is to help sick people. Interesting. And so. You know, he was the, one of the first people, he, he kind of influenced Bill Wilson of, of Alcoholics Anonymous to use LSD in the treatment of alcoholism. No. Yeah. That was one of the first things LSD was ever used for. You're kidding me. Yes. No, I'm not kidding you. I'm 100% positive. <laughs> Bill. Yes. Like Bill. It, but, you know, so what's the first step in AA? Is Admit take acid. acid. <laughs> that's and what that, that tune in. That, that's what it was. No, so it was admit that you are powerless over alcohol. And right, that you need something above you to guide you, and it was originally the power. taking LSD Very was supposed to be that catalyzing. Aaron. Yeah. Aaron. John. Aaron, that's good stuff, <laughs> Do buddy. You like it? I really like that a lot. Great. <laughs> I think. You did a good thing there, man. Thank you. This is very Do you good. know how much I like to hear that? <laughs> I, I really, don't. really, really like that. John? Because so many people think that, that Alcoholics Anonymous is a religious cult, and it, it, it's so funny to me at its early inception that it would be a, uh, a like a, a, another chemical involvement. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, all they do at fucking AA is give you cigarettes and coffee. You just replay it. I have heavily encouraged, actually. Yeah. Yeah. To, to smoke and drink coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Why not just drop acid? Or chop it up. Yeah. Who's to say? Hey. Who's, who's to say? It's not, it's not Chopaholics Anonymous. <laughs> uh, so he was, uh, um, he was, uh, despite his appearance, which, you know, he was like this five foot eight stocky dude with a crew cut. He wore like military khakis and carried a revolver with a bullet belt, like everywhere. <laughs> what, like fucking Fidel Castro? Yes, like Fidel Castro. Oh my yes. God. He dressed like that. He was that. Dude. This is before metal detectors. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and, and or, before Fidel Castro. Before yeah. Fidel Castro. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, he, but despite all this, he was this very sensitive, mystically bent Catholic guy who, right. who really wanted to help people. He had a very, very profound of, um, um, experience on LSD. Jesus um, Christ, well, what the fuck are you doing with that revolver, man? Well, sometimes you gotta shoot a motherfucker. Yeah, but I mean, he's also like... carrying around a fucking big gulp of LSD in his back pocket. <laughs> you never know who might be trying to jack you. Fair enough. Um, and so he uh, <laughs> he meets all these people, and he he actually gets a whole wing of the Hollywood Hospital in Vancouver, not Hollywood, California. It's called Hollywood Hospital in Vancouver. They dedicate a whole wing to his LSD treatment. Therapy. Holy Jesus. And he's treating people with depression and alcoholism. And he 
he really intuitively got the idea of set and setting more than before anyone else ever did before Timothy Leary even like probably even tried LSD. He, you know, he saw that traditional therapy rooms or, or rather the traditional laboratories where they were testing LSD on people were these very sterile, hard right angles, very like non comforting yes. arenas to to dive into your psyche. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, we got to change all this shit. So he like, you know, even in a hospital, he started, you know, he puts stuff art on the walls. He puts flowers in the room, couches, beds, curtains up. So that all of a sudden it's a much more welcoming atmosphere. Yeah. And I think I mentioned this before. He would, you know, he would, uh, he would go to people and uh, they're tripping, right? And he would show them like painting. He'd hold like a painting of like Salvador Dali's stuff. And he'd be like, check that out. <laughs> Look at that. And then he would show them like portraits of Christ or the Virgin Mary or the Last Supper and just tell them to like focus on that and kind of glean whatever they could from it. And um, if somebody was having like a, a, maybe a particularly bad trip, he would hold a bouquet of flowers up to them and uh, he'd say, all right, I want you to hate it. And I want you to hate this bouquet. And the bouquet would wilt and wither away. And then he said, I want you now, I want you to love it. And oh. it would bloom into this. Like, and it would a, give them a sense of power. Yeah, a sense of control. Like you can yes. you can control this and like everything in your life is very interesting. And this is dude, this guy's like in the fucking forties and fifties, you know? Yeah, he's got a gun in his hip. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you gotta trust that guy. <laughs> trip <laughs> motherfucking trip. Hate the motherfucking bouquet. <laughs> Love the motherfucker. <laughs> it ain't a question, motherfucker. If you don't trip, we got a problem. <laughs> so, like, were, were, were they learning? Were they learning? Were, oh, were, they, oh, they got learned. No, oh, no, I mean, like, the, the, the administration. Were they, were, were these tactics and things that were, what did they do with this information? Oh, uh, do you mean, like, the hospital? Yeah. Or, I mean, they were, just, they were charging money. They were oh, making money. Sure. So before before the moral panic happened in the late 60s and 70s and the sweeping, you know, drug laws, the Psychedelic Act, I think in 1970, LSD was a hailed as a miracle drug. Boutique. Boutique. It was... Elite. Yes. Uh, what was the actor we were talking about the other day? Yeah. Ka- Cobert, no, um, Ka- we we all were we, talking we, about we, these. We were this just actor. talking about him, and and he was um he he was saying that LSD was a life changing thing, and, and he, he was saying that LSD was... killed my ego and also made me irresistible to women. Yes, and but he also said it it, it cured my uh, my basically post traumatic stress of of my childhood. Yes, and I I encourage everybody to do it, and then he had to scuttle. That whole thing, the life because of the Time uh, Magazine article of um, I think he did it with Hubbard, but he but he had to Cary Grant. It was Cary Grant had to say I he had to basically disavow it yes. to, because it became part of the hippie movement and right. he couldn't be seen to be. Uh, you can't tell a movie right. with a hippie. Well, he he couldn't seem to be like you know whether it was considered like an insurrectionist. Yeah, well, or, or commie. Uh, yeah. I think Cary Grant actually was one of the people that Hubbard... Hubbard had his own plane. He would fly down to L.A. He'd swoop up actors, fly them up to Vancouver, treat them up there, and then fly them back down. Oh, but he I, was... I mean, he was super into it. I think he did like 50 sessions. Yes, yes. With a psychiatrist. And, um, and, and, that, and that's what the whole LSD movement was early on. It was... First, it was... It was uh, psych, psychiatrists thought of it as something called a psychomimetic, meaning that it gave you an insight into schizophrenia or psychotic breaks it, it made you feel what it was like to be crazy right so they wanted to feel that so they could better treat their patients but then when hubbard came around hubbard said it's it's more than that it's about the experience and it's, there's a therapy in the experience itself yeah. never mind you understanding the person better there's something valid 
in the experience as a whole. Right. And, and revolutionary, at least in terms of Western society, because there there have been other societies doing psychedelic therapy, you know, for ages, but LSD was a new a new compound. So the, that bid, the Hubbard method, it was known, became this business up okay. in up in Vancouver, and he was against that. I mean, he he did not vibe with the idea of people charging five hundred to thousand dollars a session to help people to help sick people. So he kind of like left that business a little bit. He thought it was immoral to do so, and then he. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's there's it no ability there. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very much you know the guy you know that came up with the cure for fucking polio. Yeah, that Salk. Would, that Jonas would, that, that wouldn't you know monetize it. He was like, yeah. what, what? he's like, he says, it's like charging for the sun. Yeah, what am I gonna do? Which, this is, this which is... you know, they they'll figure that out. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. But I mean, there there is nobility to it. Where yeah, it's like this is a natural thing. Yeah, and I'm sure that was part of his Catholic upbringing. You know, yeah. um, there's a, there's a very strong you know philanthropic element. Sure. He was also very critical, not only of, of profiting off of this, but he was critical of the CIA's use of LSD at that time because they were deep into MK Ultra, which was their mind control uh, yeah. experiment. And and this also he also may have been just saying that because he was probably involved in it in it some way or another, because he was a connect to getting Sandoz LSD. Sure, but I have a feeling that he was genuine. In yeah, his, I mean, in it's, his it's, critique of MK Ultra, because fucking they killed a guy. The, Frank Olson was a guy who the the CIA they would routinely dose their own people. Sometimes they'd put it in their coffee cup. Sometimes they put it in a water cooler. The CIA also did something called Operation Midnight Climax, where they dosed Johns in a brothel in San Francisco and watched them through two way mirrors. Anyways, they dosed Frank Olson uh, with a incredibly high dose probably in the order like a hundred times of what you would normally take two days later he jumped out of a two-story building in new york there's a documentary on netflix about that i forget what it's called but uh well i mean the weaponization of 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 you know um things that lean let's say uh you know kind of progressive and Mm -hmm. um peaceful Mm -hmm. by the military is well established like in the men who stare at goats it's like it's Remote all viewing it's all about it's all about all the stuff of of after you know after the vietnam war there was a guy sent from the army to go on like a soul searching mission of mm-hmm. like who are we and he came back from the west coast with all kinds of stuff about meditation and peacefulness and you know becoming whole and all this stuff and everything he brought back that was about the advancement of society was in some way turned into a weapon against humanity right he came up with be all you can be yes right Mm. so it's like i i would have no problem thinking that they would do the exact same thing with lsd especially when it's a chemical thing right you it's know. so I mean odorless, tasteless. I mean, yeah. but I mean, what, what, how how hilarious is it that they think that would be a, a control mechanism yeah. when it's the direct opposite of that? Yeah, it makes you question everything. Yeah. about your existence and your life and society and control. And I mean, the the idea that the CIA was like, oh, we got it now. It's like no, you <laughs> no. Have, you have you have the polar opposite of yeah. everything you stand yeah, be for. Be careful, it might burn you down. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think Terrence McKenna said that in terms of like the the potency of LSD, it, hundred micrograms is nothing, and what compared to what it can do, he said it's like an ant that could take apart the Empire State Building in an hour. Yeah, and it, that's 
I mean, you other drugs you have to take a lot more to really get some uh, an effect like that. Right. One of his um, regular stops in L.A. as is that he was want to do, he'd fly down to L.A. and take these you know actors up to to Vancouver and dose them, was uh, Aldous Huxley. No shit. Yeah, he was good friends with Aldous Huxley. Interesting. In fact, he introduced LSD to Aldous Huxley. Ah. And the Hubbard Method in 1955. So he guided Huxley through LSD sessions. Yeah. Showed him pictures of naked girls and stuff. Yeah, Do you like this? You're straight now. <laughs> Hate it. <laughs> if you're so straight, kiss me. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you get this wallpaper? <laughs> Um, and after after he took after Huxley did a trip with Hubbard, he said, uh, "What came through the closed door was the realization of love as the primary and fundamental cosmic fact." Aw, that's nice, isn't it? Beautiful. That's he didn't very, talk about nice. he didn't talk about anything filthy in there at all. I there's a couple of ellipses. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. So and then uh, and then Hubbard kind of moved on from the not, desire to not only treat sick people but the whole of society healthy normals, and this was his kind of top-down approach that we spoke about earlier. Um, in 55, he established something called the Commission for the Study of Creative Imagination, and kind of like Jack Parsons, he wanted to free himself from the confines of, like, the traditional scientific method. He was like, this is this is something that is so novel and so beyond anything that we've ever kind of seen or understood before that we can't just be so rigorous. We just have to try it out. Right. You got to try it out. So the board included Aldous Huxley himself, some UN officials, other philosophers, and, and um, computer engineers, people like the beginning uh, the computer science. Um, and he said, uh, Hubbard said that my regard for science is diminishing as time goes on. Science has failed. Heat is life. Uh, <laughs> time, time kills. kills. <laughs> uh, so his services were eventually recruited by uh, Willis Harmon, then director of the Educational Policy Research Center within the uh, Stanford Research Institute at Stanford mm-hmm. University. He was specifically assigned to the Alternative Futures Project, which performed future-oriented strategic planning for corporations and government entities. Basically, oh, what cool. he always wanted to do, which was kind of dose people in power. So he That's started- how they phrase that? They're like, we're going we're gonna to dose people in power, but here's a, here's, cool a, title. here's a cool title for it. Exactly. Yeah. If they show up, you're like, oh, cool. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm here for the future training? Yeah. Open up. <laughs> so he would, he would literally go around. His goal was to provide the LSD experience to political and intellectual leaders around the world. How revolutionary, though. Incredible. I mean, really. So he gave it to um, a lot of people, you know... He, Al had this grandiose idea that if he could give psychedelic ex- psychedelic experience to major executives of Fortune 500 companies, he would change the whole of society. Of course. Of course. Yes. I, but I would think that. I mean, that sounds to me like a Weather Underground plot. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, right? You know, it's like Batman Begins. They're dosing the water with all that blue stuff, and then they <laughs> go around making everybody huff it. Right. You know, but, I mean, especially, I mean, yeah, the, the, the rich and the powerful that are the most deluded with... Yes. What they're doing with their power. And, but they're also influential. Yes. And some of them are not deluded, right? It's not just about going around, no, I'm going no, no, to no, dose no. the Pope well, and he's going to change everything. But right. like, <laughs> well, if you can. <laughs> There's a direct line from, you know, Steve Jobs all the way back to Al Hubbard. Sure. Right. And, sure. and Steve, Steve Jobs said that taking LSD along with joining an ashram was, you know, one of the most important moments of his life. Yeah. In, in some of these tests, one of the guys he gave it to. <laughs> 
they would do these tests where they would have all these intellectuals and scientists, they'd give them LSD and have them sol- work on problems that they couldn't solve before. Interesting. That's right? cool. Interesting. So this kind of like, this is, it kind of gets into the new, the new, um, the new class of, of Silicon Valley now where they're microdosing. They have like microdosing Fridays up in Silicon Valley. That's right. <laughs> Only they could ruin something. <laughs> <laughs> one of the uh, one of the guys came up with something called, I think he called it a, um, oh, God. Fleshlight? Uh, uh, a, t- uh, <laughs> a flesh heavy? <laughs> I think he called it a, a tinkle turner, a tinkle wheel, which was like, it was a little water wheel in the toilet that would help boys you would help potty train boys with. Oh, you spin the Aww. spin the wheel. You spin kid. the wheel with your stream of pee pee. It's like Aww. the Price is Right, but yes. with piss. Yeah, Aww. big bucks no whammy. Piss is right. <laughs> <laughs> that guy later on went on to invent the computer mouse, the graphic user Wait, interface, oh. HTML. The piss wheel guy. The oh. piss wheel guy would later go on to create all those. I mean. So how did you think of the mouse? Well, I was uh, working on this piss wheel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I realized you could put one like underneath your hand. <laughs> Let's see, in 1963, with his head cut, hair cut down to a crew cut, rocking his paramilitary uniform and holstering his uh, long barrel Colt 45, Al Hubbard showed up one day on the doorstep of a young psychologist at Harvard named Timothy Leary. Uh oh. Trouble. And uh, he rolled in and he. <laughs> And he was pissed off. He, uh, <laughs> Leary said that um, he blew in with that uniform, laying down the most incredible atmosphere of mystery and flamboyance and really impressive bullshit. He was pissed off. His Rolls Royce, his Rolls Royce had broken down on the freeway, so he went to a payphone and called the company in London. That's the kind of guy he was. He started name dropping like he wouldn't believe. Claimed he was friends with the Pope. Oh. Oh. He's no Catalina de Rosso. They, yeah. <laughs> they asked Larry, did you believe him? And he goes, well, yeah, no question. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, he's name dropping the... Plate. And uh, he, the captain had come in bearing gifts of LSD that he wanted to swap for psilocybin. Aha! Uh-huh. That was the thing that impressed I'll give, Larry. I'll give you three LSDs. For yeah, I'll give you a couple, a couple of two-liter bottles for maybe a handful of shrooms. Yeah. You know, Leary says that on one hand, he looked like a carpetbagger con man. On the other hand, he had these most impressive people in the world on his lap basically backing him. And just later on, you know, um, the kind of like the moral panic started to set in part. I mean, part Timothy Leary's partially to blame for that. But just the funding dried up like he, he exhausted his fortune trying to help people with his Hubbard method because he refused to charge for it. And um Wow. Certain people had to remove themselves from association with him and with LSD in general as it slowly became more and more taboo and eventually illegal. Interesting. And, um, yeah, he died pretty much broke, exhausting his resources, trying to, to harness that dream that he got he, from an angel Yeah, on a hike. <laughs> Not on LSD. He retired, uh, he retired to a mobile home in Casa Grande, Arizona, and died in... 1982. Last words written by Aldous Huxley to his wife, LSD 100 milligrams. <laughs> and she shot him up with it. And she shot him up with it, and he <laughs> shot out with it. <laughs> That's a fun way to go. Isn't out. that great? That's a fun way to la- go. The last words of Aldous Huxley. I don't know if I said it in the episode. Yeah, yeah, did. did I? Yeah. yeah well, I isn't, isn't that, uh, uh, which, which is the one that is... Uh, Either that wallpaper goes or I do. That's Oscar Wilde. That's Oscar Wilde. That's, That's Oscar right. Wilde. But yeah, Aldous Huxley. But Aldous Huxley was uh, the last thing. The last thing he wrote on paper was LSD 100 milligrams. Bitch. <laughs>
That's probably no, probably. Aaron. No, Aaron, don't say that. Give me my LSD, woman. I'm dying for Christ's sake. Fuck you. So that's the Johnny Appleseed of LSD. Johnny LSD. It's very good stuff, Aaron. Yeah. Albert Hubbard. Yeah. Very good stuff. No relation to L. Ron. No. Thank. No. Thankfully. As far as even though he had boats. These guys are fucking they boats. The so boats. many boats. The Hubbard, the Hubbard fleet. Matt, you got you got some shit. Oh, I got some shit for you. You want you want to talk about it? Sure. Hold on, I'm gonna take a drink of piss here. Hold on. Mm. Mm. I uh, I got. Oh, you I, missed a drop. I just I, I got a dumb. Ooh. Thing. I really dumb. Thing. You got dumb shit. I got dumb shit. Oh, I want to tell you about. You wanna? Well, I, I, I'm gonna. I'm, all right, I'm gonna do it while you're cracking that piss. I'm done. So, <laughs> go on. So, all right. So, there's. I we talked about anal cunt and stuff like that. Yes, there's, yes. There's, there's, That's uh, a fun sentence. There's a. Uh, there's so there's uh, you know there's all these subsections of, of of you know punk and underground hardcore and stuff like that and um one I'm, I'm very interested in is, is youth crew right which is the straight edge uh. portion of of you know like in the 70s and etc you know like there was like this whole thing where it was like you know get drunk and be like a Sid Vicious type punk and be a junkie and all this stuff and then there's this like rebellion in the early 80s in America which was straight edge it was just like we don't need fucking to do that shit we're just we're just psyched on going to shows, you know what I mean? And like, we don't need all that bullshit. And like, I always thought that was so fucking stupid. <laughs> no, but 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 it's like it is such a it is such a well, of course, as a drug lover, you know, I mean, you you wouldn't like it, of course. But, but even it, when I was straight edge, I was thought, like, <laughs> don't make a thing about it. You go get a personality, you fucking loser. <laughs> right? You can't have a personality about not doing stuff. What's more punk than punk? But it is it is it's so it's so um, emblematic of of how things go. In the in the to and fro sure. of you Ooh. you have you have the um the uh, the the vast uh, mega indulgence of the Roman Empire and then mm-hmm. you get Christianity <laughs> where it's like hey I don't need to fuck twenty dudes and my kids and I'll I'll oh just, yeah, Christi- I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah Christianity is well known for not fucking kids but you know what I'm saying <laughs> the, pi- the the piousness is like you know sure. it becomes a thing like this this response to overindulgence mm-hmm. yes yes and the, then the, you, pendulum the, the pendulum swings yes. yes. And so, like, you know, but like straight edge people, it's like, because there's nothing going on, really, that you have to talk about. It's like, it's like, you know, people like, they're, they're not drinking and all they talk about is not drinking. Yeah. And you're like, you might as well drink. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're making me want one. So that's all they talk about. So, like, it's just like, you know, the whole thing is like characterized by like, you know, like, if we stick together, you know, like, we got to stay positive and we can like, we can not fuck up together and we can like achieve our goals and we can like. You know, have like a positive mindset, yeah. and like we can do stuff, and so like all the bands would have shit like that. Like there'd be bands called like Set Your Goals and like <laughs> no. Team Effort, and like it, yeah, it got Team ve- Effort. Team Effort got very jockey. <laughs> like effort. there'd be bands called like Ten Yard Fight, and like, you know, like I do, I do, re- I do re- some have, have recollections <laughs> of the straight edge scene being they'd always fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah because like you can't you can't drink. You, gotta, you need some. Yeah, so you gotta get other. high off of the endorphins your body but releases by that, getting your like, ass so beat. Like, Have like, fun the, out there. The, the auspices of, like straight edge were like okay, this is like no sex, uh, no like no 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 um wait what no no no, no uh, like uh, promiscuous no sex no. no promiscuous sex was the idea. Oh okay. And then it was like no drugs and no drinking and no smoking. Could they show their wrists and ankles? Right, yeah. but okay. but also like it was like you know once those became the rules. Yeah. 
outside of some of these traded shows, there'd be like mad gambling going down. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, exactly. first, the first vice they got their hands on that wasn't under the straight edge rules. They'd oh be like, God. they'd be like, let's fucking do card games outside shows. And you're like, what? Yeah, it's like, the what? rule book didn't say anything about dice. <laughs> yeah. No specifics. So I was like, what's the difference? You're smoking a bowl or doing fucking, you know, yeah. fucking three card Monty. <laughs> Who gives a shit? You know? So it would be like, but anyway, it was like, there was all this shit about like, it was just like, you know, all these bands would be like, if we stick together, you know, I'm like, and like, then there was like all this sh- like, like regretful stuff, like all, all the, all the like themes would be like, you know, like you forgot what it meant. Like songs would be about like people that like were straight edge, but weren't anymore. And it was like, <laughs> you turned your back. You know, one one like, drink, one problem. Like, we, we were we were hanging out, but then you left. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like we were like song. trying to stay positive, but then like you fucked up and stuff. <laughs> so like, anyways, this uh, it goes on for like like decades, and it's like still strange bands to this day and stuff. And like, I don't know, I just think it's funny. There's this band called Champion that is like, I think they seriously took their name from people wearing like champion <laughs> shorts, <laughs> yeah. like, like like athletic shorts, yeah. champion. You know, we're eyes on. You know. And, <laughs> And um, they 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 uh they were this band, band. and uh, so like they anyway all straight bands have like names like looking forward and you know like fucking uh, up front and uniform choice and uniform, uniform choice, choice. Oh. turning point and you know like fucking shit like you know ten yard fight uh fucking you know, <laughs> uniform choice you know side by side you know because the only reason like. The only reason, like, we can, like, not smoke a cigarette together is because we're hanging out. Because, <laughs> like, we, we support each other. I don't want to smoke cigarettes unless I'm hanging out with somebody. <laughs> but, but, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, there's, like, all this stuff about, like, hand in hand. If you turn your back, like, we'll never forgive you. And, like, it's like, what? You know what I mean? Like, no, if somebody wants to, like, fucking have a, you know, a fucking. Let's form a circle and like, show our penis. Somebody yeah. wants to have a wine cooler and yeah. you never talk to him again. <laughs> exactly. It's completely ridiculous. No, I can't talk to Dave anymore. Abandonment issues. <laughs> yeah. And the bands would be like called like good clean fun. Good and, no. yeah, yeah. That, if and, that's not an ironic and like, name, count me out. Like, well, count, is that weed? Count <laughs> me out. No, you I'm know? straight. Chain of strength. You know, chain like, of strength. Chain of strength. This is very is big. So f- chain fucking of fascist. Yeah, chain of it's very, it's very, very, very right wing. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of right wing people involved in straight edge hardcore. You know, because yeah. it is like. It is like the Puritan it, movement of hardcore. It's conservative. Yeah, yeah, it's very conservative. But like, Not you know, political, they'll have all these yeah. album names like, what it meant. <laughs> like, what it meant. Don't you turn back. And like all this bullshit, whatever. But anyway, this band called Champion, uh, their their lead singer ended up, uh, ended up being like a known pedophile. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so I wa- what I wanted to ask each of you guys. Okay. No, I never you, touched on, a no, kid. No, no. I sw- who told what? Aaron, I want you to exercise your mind here. And I want you to tell me. <laughs> And Matt, uh-huh. do you guys think he brought like the positive mental attitude to pedophilia? <laughs> well, can do you tell me why you have a song? Story? You know, yeah. but, I mean, do you think he was like, if we work together, we can fuck these kids? <laughs> <laughs> like, do you think like? <laughs> Put your we, tiny hand if, in mine. <laughs> if we concentrate our efforts, the positive youth will fuck us. <laughs> <laughs> a hole in my pocket is just a friend. <laughs> Don't turn your back unless you want me to fuck you. <laughs> Do you know what as I mean? long as we work together, these kids don't stand a chance. If we, if we work together and we have each other's backs, they'll never catch us. Especially if we kill the kid. Because <laughs> we're pedophiles. You know what I mean? Like, Do you think they brought the positivity to the pedophilia is what I'm asking? Hey, kid. <laughs> Matt, do you think? Hey, well, kid. I was going to say everything but the pedophilia, yeah, like, I guess. I, 
Swap out that possible. cigarette for my dick. <laughs> <laughs> I got something you could smoke. <laughs> yeah. Do you think? Do you think that he brought a positive mental attitude? Of course he brought a positive yeah. mental attitude. Nuts, not butts. <laughs> yeah. If we work together, we can fuck a ton of kids, nuts, and it'll be nuts, dope. Nuts, not butts. <laughs> Reach deep inside yourself and you can reach deep inside a kid. <laughs> he, he brought a positive mental attitude, but he shouldn't have. Yeah. The only way he got through that I, I is wish with he a positive some, mental attitude. I wish he had some self doubt. Yeah, I think that would have been good. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't fuck these kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's, there's no bands called like, Critical Choice. <laughs> <laughs> critical self reflection. <laughs> fuck yeah. you, pussy. <laughs> turning point. Turning, turning point. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have friends that are straight edge. I love you guys. I'm just saying, I think it's funny. That you know, I mean, it's like, it's like, really, you. I mean, are you really gonna lord it over somebody that you don't smoke a camel? <laughs> you want to fuck a fourteen-year-old girl? Playground, bang around. <laughs> That's all I got. I guess what you're That's saying, John, is that uh, there's pedophiles everywhere. <laughs> it really, there's not one group that is above it. But oh, exactly, there. But also, in the piousness, isn't it so Catholic? It is. Isn't it? It's like, where are we going to turn? Oh, well. To the kids. Three-card Monte and fucking kids. Yeah, the children are the, the future. But no booze. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't chop it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just yeah, do don't, don't do coke alone in your house. Yeah. <laughs> go and meet some kids. Somewhere. Yeah. Go like, fucking go chop it up so you can't get it Go chop it up. up. Instead yeah. of being like you looking forward, ch- be like, yo, chop it up. Chop it up so you can't get it up. Exactly. <laughs> is that you got to give all these pedophiles coke. You do. You absolutely do. Give these pedophiles coke. That's my dumb shit I had to say. I, uh, I, that was I, dumb. I, I know. It was so dumb. I was so excited to say it to I, you guys. I love the idea of... <laughs> I was so excited to, to just ask you if you thought he, if he was so enthusiastic and positive about the pedophilia. Yeah, <laughs> he was. Yes, I'm sure he was. <laughs> I love the. I love that. This is gonna be my new favorite. No child is is stupid pedophile straight edge bandits. No no child left behind. That's it. Yikes! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, John. That's why we're here. Matt. Talk to me about you're, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna. I got some stupid shit, but it's no like pedophiles. I no, know. No, no, no. But you're gonna ride the train out here. Oh, here we go. This is a train. Yeah, no one's taking the train these days. That's a fad of sorts. It is. I want to oh. talk about fads. I want to talk about stupid. Sh- I hate. I hate fads. Yeah. I fucking because just I'm not a fad guy. Sure. You know, so it's not me. So I, you know, I can't ever get into it. Never had a slap bracelet. <laughs> yeah, I never poured ice on my face and for the for the camera. You know. <laughs> oh. For the Lou Gehrig folks. Right. That you know? was so stupid. Yeah. That the what? What? How? I hate dumb, stupid shit like that. Well, Aaron, I got I'm, I got just the thing so for I'm you. I'm on one today, you know. Yeah. I, I hate kid fuckers. <laughs> well, sure. good. That's oh, a good one. That's controversial. <laughs> you, you, hate, you hate raising money for Lou Gehrig stuff. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> hey, 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 where do I get some raising money? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. We already did the dumb shit. <laughs> Alright, fads. Alright. Yeah, so nice I was thinking, like, what are some stupid shit people do? You know? Right. And the idea of fads is like, uh, you know, like phone booth stuffing? Yeah. 
That was that. It was huge for one year in 1959 in Durban, South Africa. What was phone booth stuffing? That's when you fit as many people as you can in a fucking phone booth, and then you take a picture and you send it to Guinness. Really? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. It was big for a year. I didn't know that. 1959, 25 students in South Africa set a record that never existed before. South Africa. And so, because of that, then people all over the world would try to stuff as many fucking people in phone booths as they could. Really? And the only rule is, you have to fit one part of your body into the phone booth. So you can put a hand in there. Oh, come on. Yeah. Oh, come on. It's some bullshit, I yeah, tell you. Yeah, that's some bullshit. Close the fucking door. Yeah, you have to. I gotta, you should you gotta, be I gotta make a call. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, always, yeah. Exactly. There was a man standing out front going, I just need it. Just need to call the doctor. Bunch of stupid stoned college kids. And that was just, uh, that was like, right after that was this thing called hunkering. Oh. And hunkering is from a Scottish word for haunches. Uh-huh. And all it is is people sitting for as long as they can, like, on the ground. What? Basically, like, you know, like like a deep squat. Oh, squatting? Yeah, squatting on the balls of your feet for a long time, John. That's hunkering. That's funny. Uh, it grew... <laughs> This is, it grew out of a chair shortage from a frat house in Arkansas. Aww. All these. F- <laughs> well, that's like uh, what they do. What was it, planking? Right, yeah, yeah, probably right. get yeah that. that grew out of what? Like a, a plank shortage? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm starting to think these people should join a hardcore band and fuck kids. <laughs> that's where it begins with the feds. Uh, and so these guys in Arkansas, they saw these bunch of dudes from the Ozarks. They would do that deep squat, you know, like that Eastern, you know, like that Russian squat type of thing. And they'd just be whittling at across at stores, you know. They were in Arkansas, you know, they'd see all these folks doing that. And so then this fad became hunkering. <laughs> and one of the things that said, "Hunkerers always hunker together, and girl hunkers are perfectly eligible." Oh, oh! hunkers hunker together, <laughs> always for life. Sophisticated people hunkered flat-footed, oh. so not on the balls of their feet, because they're sophisticated, John. Ah! Yes, the sophisticates. Oh, I'm not going to stand here on the balls of my feet as I hunker like down. Like some savage. Uh, Mark Savage. <laughs> and we have the girls here as well, and they're not on the balls of their feet, are they? <laughs> and we're all hunkering down, and we're all trying it out, and if you'd like to try it out, you can try it out. But just one thing, make sure that you're flat-footed. <laughs> Real progressive folks, they hunkered with their elbows inside of their knees. <gasps> hey! That's how progressive they were. That's no. Blasphemy, I say. I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to do it on the flat of my feet and with my elbows on the outside of my <laughs> They're knees. They're progressive. Like, so why yes. were they progressive by doing that? Well, they were different. You know, that was the new thing. I don't sure. know. Sometimes progress isn't good. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is the nature of it. Uh, but also, there was noted that this was tough while hunkering and hooking. And that meant drinking beer while hunkering. Oh, I like that, uh-huh. man. Oh, I like that. You ever sit in a deep squat for a couple hours while yeah. drinking a beer? I could use some piss. Uh huh. Maybe that's what you did while you're there. Yeah. You know, before hunkering and phone booth stuffing, in 1949. So that was like the 50s and early 60s fads. Before that, panty raiding. All right. The 40s was panty raiding, folks. Huh. It started in Augustina Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois. Ooh, ooh. ooh the finest line, the Rock Island mm. line. 125 men broke into a women's frat house 
first, they broke through the heating pipes, then an unlocked door, and then they locked up the house and cut the phone and power lines. Jesus which, Christ. You know, you think about it today. Oh, yeah, this yeah. This is a panty raid. Oh, this yeah. Is, this is assault. Yeah, yeah. This is being I like eight. to think yeah. about back in the day when women were never raped. And uh, if, if the heating uh, ducts exploded with man and the power lines were cut, I'd be like, I bet these guys are up to a new fad. <laughs> That's all it was. <laughs> oh, these lads. Yeah, oh. we, were, uh, we were scared for our lives. We were getting out of the shower. Turns out they were just here for the panties. <laughs> what? Yeah. I remember seeing that in Revenge of the Nerds right. when mm. they do a panty raid. Uh, and I was like, "What the fuck?" I didn't get it, but I, at least in the movie, it was it was all a distraction for them to install secret cameras to look at the bush. Yeah, what a good, a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, 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 Jesus yeah, yeah. very non-rapey. Oh well, man, they're, but they're nerds. We're nerds. They're nerds. I mean, what how do? else to see bush? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it, so then it happened in 1949, and then in 1950, uh, 1952, the craze swept the nation. Uh-oh. Of panty reading? Reports of it happened in 52 colleges. In Penn State, 2,000 men. 2,000 men across the campus broke into women's dorms and stole their panties. But what did they do with them? Well, they obviously, they humiliated as many people as they could in the process. They humiliated right. And then themselves. they took them home and they probably jacked off. Oh, God. Because there, you know, there weren't that many woods back then. You yeah, to, you had to do it in the oh, door. Oh, because you know? lumber, the lumber, the, the lumber, lumber industry shortage. was running amok. Yeah. So, and that was the only uh, sexual uh, thing with Penn State that ever happened. Yes, ever. not, a, not yep. another thing. Just great, great football. <laughs> Just some good football playing. You know, Jerry Sandusky was in a uh, straight edge, <laughs> straight edge <laughs> band. Yeah, the Penn State football team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the I think it was uh, X Panty Raid X. I think it was called like. Fresh as a shower. <laughs> yeah. The Petty Lions, Jock they call them. Jock Strap Yeah, Petty State. Uh, <laughs> so sometimes this was cheered on. Sometimes the women fought back. Jesus How Christ, bad. what a nightmare. In 1955 at UC Berkeley, 3,000 men did this, and they caused $10,000 worth of damage in the process. Panties are expensive. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you take a panty, sometimes you break a window. I mean... Good what stuff. the fuck? It was a fad. But I wonder. Know? I wonder if that damage was because of the women fighting back at Berkeley. Probably some yeah. of it. I, yeah. I, 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 I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would hope they so. They probably uh. threw TVs out the window and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy my panties, fuckhead. <laughs> I'm on my rig. Here's my TV too. <laughs> uh, panties. They're not even like. Have you ever enjoyed a pair of women's panties, Aaron? Oh, they're soft oh, and God. silky. Well, no, they're not always silky. John, <laughs> <laughs> I love women. Hey, you know this about me. I love women. Oh, I know you do. Do you love but the panties? Never in my life have I ever desired. No. A no. Pair, no. I, all I, they are is an obstacle. I, all right. All right. But, but, but I understand what you mean. And then, <laughs> not good and, and no, 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 but let me say this. And they're only sexy when the woman is wearing them. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. That's, that's, yeah, when my fucking well, Uncle Gary's wearing them, yeah. I could give a fuck. I don't want to see him framed on a wall. I don't want to see him in a. Dry, a big hip man. I want to see. I, I want to see you in them, looking real nice, and yeah. then I want to get to it. Sure. I don't want to have a memento of me breaking and entering into your sacred place to yeah. take your fucking chonies. 
Right. Well, I think we can all agree that uh, college students are dumb. Yeah, but also, also, like, um, there there are people that are into that shit. Yes. Where it's like, hey, I want to huff these panties. Yeah, they're called serial killers. Uh, right, 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 right. <laughs> and so that's the thing is that like it is like it is this like insane thing where it's like I also have been like I I, I don't know who the fuck these guys are that I want to. Start huffing up the panties. It's, it's a I mean? weird mob mentality. I think it's just yes, like when guys much. get in a group or people in general, but when guys, especially, especially, especially men, yes, uh, get into a, or people who identify as men get into a group. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a couple of charismatic individuals and there's a, a bunch of followers. Uh, right. And um, but then you got to be at college and and you know go back to the regular daily life and uh, you know see one of these ladies out there. And one of these would be like, were you one of those maniacs that was crawling through my heating ducts and, uh, and stealing my no. underwear? No. no I'm you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And imagine that. Maybe. Imagine, that- but imagine, imagine that. And you were one. Yeah. And you were one of them. Being, while you're studying for your PhD. Or- <laughs> and you're... Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Maybe that's. But maybe- it's all a bit of fun, isn't it? <laughs> well, maybe that's the, you know uh, I mean? the appeal is the... Um, the psychological one-up that you may have on the on on your I would say so. I would say so. It's like, uh, look at that girl walking down the street. She won't fuck me, but at least I have her panties. Yes, well, it, it is. It's a step shy of rape. It, oh it yeah, is. it's psychological oh, rape. Yes. It's warfare. It's, yes. it's it is. It's very very nefarious. And, uh, and yeah. a lot of I don't condone it. A lot of dumb kids are like, I don't know how to talk to women, so I will force an interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. It's like, how did you meet? Well, well, your husband, my my your father, he broke into my apartment and stole my panties, and <laughs> I was like, Marty wow, McFly what a, what a guy. Yeah. yeah, it was capture the flag with the most intimate article of clothing you could ever imagine. That's what we did. <laughs> red Rover, Red Rover, <laughs> send your panties on over. <laughs> so that was it. That was the 40s and early 50s for you. The <gasps> 30s, a little more tame. The big fad in the 30s was goldfish swallowing. Yeah. Huh. yeah. 1939, Lothrop Withington Jr. Ah, Lothrop Withington Jr. I've swallowed 46 goldfish. Yeah, you know, goldfish are a type of carb, Lothrop. (laughs) He was a freshman at Harvard. Of course. Running for class president. And he bragged that he had once eaten a live fish. And so friends bet him $10 that he couldn't do it again. (laughs) Ha ha. Suck it, Lothrop. (laughs) Ha ha. You know, the Japanese have been doing that forever. Yeah. <laughs> so he practiced by uh, swallowing tadpoles, tad, tadpoles and baby goldfish. He worked his way up to a, a goldfish, and there's a picture uh, uh, taken from that time of him swallowing a goldfish, and everybody cheered him on. No word if he actually won his race or not, because it didn't matter. The fad had started. In April 1939, Marie Henson became the first woman... To swallow a goldfish live. <laughs> Equality was reached. Oh, God. Don't touch my panties. <laughs> sure, I'll swallow the fish. <laughs> Please just. At the University of Pennsylvania, someone, uh, some man uh, swallowed 25 goldfish. Oh, God. What? At so MIT, a guy swallowed 49. No! What? He probably invented the computer mouse and the piss wheel, too. <laughs> it's a big week for him. In uh, at Clark University, Joseph Delibarto, he ate eighty nine goldfish. Hell yeah, a lot living goldfish. Hell yeah, and just swimming around in his gut. Yep. Ugh. The current world record was set 
by a Los Angeles college student in 1974. O.J. Simpson. The number <laughs> 300 goldfish. No. Live. Live. Did he puke them up? No. He swallowed them and digested them live. He had the worst week of his life, I imagine. Jesus Jeez. fucking Christ. Could you imagine him just shitting out little just fish skeletons? <laughs> just little fully formed skeletons coming out. Can you just imagine ass. 300 fish and the shit you have to take immediately after? And they're just swimming. You feed, You have to feel them. They're dying. On, they're, they're being they're dissolved alive, alive yeah. in sulf- hydrochloric acid of yeah, your Yeah, and they're probably fighting for supremacy in the last <laughs> And, and, and there's probably a king one alpha fish claws his way out of his mouth. Yeah. I'm your son. <laughs> yeah. This is male pregnancy. Is yeah. puking? Yeah. Yes. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> what, what? 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 What decade is this? That was 1974. Jesus. When he did that. Fads. I hate fads. That's torture of goldfish. I think it is. It is. <laughs> They're good. very, very. At least torture of everybody. I guess even yourself. <laughs> I'm tortured listening to. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Good that was God the late. Almighty. That was the late thirties, but the the big fad of the 1920s was flagpole sitting. Ah, yes. Flagpole sitting. It's a real thing. This is a famous man named Aloysius, aka Anthony Kelly, aka Alvin Shipwreck Kelly. Who in 1924 he sat atop a Philadelphia flagpole to promote a movie he was in. He did it for 13 days and 13 hours. He uh, just sat on it. He had a little board. Oh come on! And he put it on top of the flagpole. All right, all right. And he sat there for 13 days. There's a okay. great song called "Flagpole Sitting" in the 90s. It's not that good. It's no. a great song. <laughs> it's, it's a great song. It's you're wrong. It's a great song. Harvey you're, Danger. Uh-huh. You're, both, you're both right. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice of you. But this this fad goes all the way back to ancient times. No. To the stylites. The stylites were Wasn't that like a doo-wop band? It might as well have been. Were the stylites. It goes there, you know, the uh, hermits, you know, a her, you know, if you want to be really religious, you want to get into it, you go into you live in a cave for 30 years. Uh there's this hermit in Palestine who dwelt in a mountaintop cave for 25 years until his death. Very famous. Uh, there was a, a man who stood upright for many years, ab- absorbed in contemplation, without ever lying down. And they were like, "He is so pious. He is just standing there. What a what a wonderful man." I feel like it's very funny. If well, you're not a very good hermit, if you're famous, yes, very yes. famous hermit. Sounds like a really bad <laughs> hermit. <laughs> <laughs> The famous recluse. <laughs> the famous anti-socialite. <laughs> World-renowned right. loner. Okay, so 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 back when when were the when were the daylights? So this is this is about 390 A.D. and good God, about a hundred. You know, the the story of this hermit in Palestine was was. From uh, you know hundreds of years earlier, and then these stories go on from 390 A.D. to you know past Jesus, uh, because because flagpole sitting is just guys standing on pillars. It's the same thing, huh? Right. And so this goes all the way back. The most famous one is this guy named uh, Simeon. Is Saint Simeon the Stylite? Hmm. Uh, stylite is Greek for pillar dweller. Ah, uh, stylus. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
He's one of those guys that, you know, stands on pillars. Yeah. So this guy this guy is St. Simeon. He's <laughs> at one point is like he spent thirty seven years standing on a pillar. Every day he and night he never laid down, he would just stand on a pillar. How? Thirty seven years. How? Dude. Well he, How? he worked his way up to it. <laughs> so when he was thirteen he decided to become a Christian zealot and he right. like got he got hardcore into it. You know, yeah. Mom, I wanna become a zealot. <laughs> that was it. When he was sixteen he joined a monastery and he said, I'm giving my body to God. See that and, tower over there? <laughs> He was he went when he went to the monastery at sixteen, he was so extreme about it, they asked him to leave. <laughs> these fucking straight edge people, dude. It's these fucking straight edge losers. His asceticism was so extreme, they're like, you need to straighten up, fly right. <laughs> so he decided If we climb a pillar, we can fuck some kids later, maybe. <laughs> Not on the pillar, though. <laughs> Kid. If they climb my pillar... <laughs> they climb my pillar. They can swallow my goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> so, so after he left the monastery, he got kicked out. He decided to become a hermit, and he lived in a hut for just a year and a half. Didn't eat or drink for Lent. He came out of the hut after a year and a half, and everybody said, He's still alive. It's a miracle. And so, from the fame of this, he decided to start standing. Jesus Christ. And he moved to, uh, uh, I don't know what that is. So, so he's near Aleppo, and he finds a, a pillar just near Aleppo, and there's these ruins there, and he just climbs the pillar, and he stands on it. The, his first pillar was only nine feet high, Bitches. but eventually his pillar would, the pillar he would end up on would be 50 feet high, and he would stand there bowing all day. And to the point, he, he just avoided everything in his life. His mother came, and she would sit underneath the pillar. Then she died underneath the pillar. Oh, my God. And they put her coffin at the base of the pillar. Oh All he wanted God. to do was get away. And so he just stood there bowing for 37 years, and then he died standing there bowing on the pillar. And before he did this, though, this one other guy named Daniel came up, and uh, he's now known as Saint Daniel the Stylite. And uh, Simeon gave him his blessing. And so Daniel said, Now I'm oh, I'm the Stylite, too. And so he went and he stood on a pillar for 33 years. Jesus Christ. Wasn't this in The Leftovers? <laughs> it might as well have been. Yeah, close to me. Yeah. So Daniel stood on a, on a pillar for 33 years. And his feet were covered with sores and cuts and ulcers. And sometimes he was in Thrace, and sometimes the wind would just tear his clothing off, and he would just be naked, just standing on top of a pillar. Sure. And everybody would go, oh, there's that nude, nude guy in the Who's pillar. Who's giving again. him food? Well, so, local people. They, you know, it's just they like toss it up. Yeah, you know, there would be a pulley system, and they yeah. like local kids would be like, let's let's feed the weirdo. Yeah. You know. Uh, so that's well, how he's up there bowing. Yeah, he's up there doing his shit. But you know, Daniel, the whole idea of this was like they're so in tune with God, we can learn about piety from them. Right. We can. So like Daniel, Daniel has this saying where he said before he died, he said, "Hold fast humility, practice obedience, exercise hospitality, keep the fasts, observe the vigils, love poverty, and above all, maintain clarity, which is the great commandment." 
and fuck kids sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> he said, keep closely bound to all that regards piety. Avoid the tares of the heretics. Separate never from the church your mother. If you do these things, your righteousness shall be perfect. I think that is that is um, kind of um, like, Aaron, I think you you can... You can understand what I think about this. Where it's like, don't you think there's like this thing where like once you introduce the idea of religion and stuff like that, that people think there's going to be like a hack, mm, yes. where you jump the like regular like mortal plane if you do just like the most pious thing. Don't you think there's like a thing where it's like if I just say I'm like so so godly that I'm gonna like skip ahead a few levels? Do you think that's where like a lot of that shit is coming from? Yeah, I think. Well, people are always looking for. Um, uh, like a hack, life hack, shortcut type yeah, of thing. Yeah, I think it's more selfish than people actually allow. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think people are like, are like really being like the, the. So I think you know the the original purpose of the piety is is the piety in and of itself is kind of its own reward. But you're thinking that some people are participating in that. With the hopes of a reward, at the I, end? I, I don't even think it's a reward. I think it's 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 a lot of times it's just um, what's going on. I want I want to be the first to find out what's going on, uh-huh. like discovery. Right. Sure. I don't even think it's like reward, uh-huh. but I think it is like if I skip ahead a few levels, like will it be? Will I get to you know the in, nexus of of, right. of what the fuck is going on? Well, that's part of the thing in like Scientology is that you. Um... Once you get to like OT eight operating Thetan level eight, you become a master of STEM, mm-hmm. which is space, time, energy, and matter. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you can like manipulate reality at your will. Right. You know. Yeah. Which I mean, if you look at Tom Cruise, yeah, he's done it. He's doing pretty well. <laughs> sure. 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 So. Yeah. So maybe. So what is S what T E M? Space, time. time, energy, and matter. So can I make myself nut in the past? John, you already did. <laughs> How do you know? Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> if I know anything about you. Cool. <laughs> but I do think there's something to it. It's like, oh, this guy's so pious, and he's like, I don't fit in any, fit in anywhere. So I will just the one thing that defines me. I will thoroughly embody it. Yes. Because I don't know what else to... Also, like, back then, there's not, like, that much to do. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I will become that guy. And I also think there's a thing where it's like, I'm going to be the one that's uh, the the pious one uh, yeah. for everybody else in yeah. the community. I do think it's also that. Oh, absolutely. It's like, I'm going to be the one that uh, suffers the sins of uh, all these idiots yeah. that are going down and sending me up ham sandwiches. Yeah, maybe they won't kill me like Jesus, but... Right, yeah, but I like, can I can uh, suffer for this. I can t- I can torture myself for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I think that just crazy people are um, magnetic sometimes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> look at you. <laughs> but this uh, this pillar standing like that, it became the thing to do. You know, so like <laughs> yeah. people would be like, wow, that's it. And then someone in another country would do it, someone in another country to do it. There's this one guy, Alpheus, Alpheus. He was in uh, near the Black Sea in Turkey, this place called uh, Paphylagonia, which I don't believe that's the name of it now, but it's, it's just north. It's just south of the Black Sea where the where Turkey touches the Black Sea in the uh, in the in northernmost Turkey. And he spent he lived to 118 years what? and he spent the majority of his life standing on a pillar. Yeah. To the point where. For the last 14 years of his life, he couldn't stand, so he had to lay on the pillar. Oh, God. And then he died 
And everybody was like, wow. Well, you know what the one thing is about being on the pillars? You can't get sick up there. That's right. That's the beauty of it. Because <laughs> you're not touching all that. <laughs> and down with the riffraff. <laughs> There's no germs there. But I want to go back uh, before we end to this guy Shipwreck Kelly. How did they shit? They just shit off, off the, the pillar. pillar? Yeah. Jesus Christ. A deep squat. Yeah. Oh, the hunkering down. Yeah, you know, it's a yeah. squatty potty. All they did was eat goldfish, shit <laughs> off a pillar, and yeah. stuff into a phone booth. Squatty pillar. Yeah. Yeah. And if you ate one, you were a saint. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all right? So this guy Shipwreck <laughs> Kelly. Yeah, I want to talk about this guy. So he was like, you know, in America, he was like the preeminent flagpole sitter. He was born in 1893. His mom died in childbirth, and his dad ran away before he was born. Mm. So he was immediately an orphan. Immediately, uh, he was when he was a kid. He ran away. He went to sea. He became a stuntman and like a, a famous climber. He would go. Uh, he would go town to town, sitting on flagpoles. <laughs> that was like his big money maker. He would like sit on a flagpole in like bumfuck Illinois, then go down to Ohio, sit on a flagpole in your town. Everybody would come out and be like, "Look at this man! He's up 20 feet in the air, sitting on a pole." Uh, one time he sat in a he was he was basically like a stuntman you know in in quiet times he sat on the crossbar of a plane that was five hundred feet in the air you know so he's just doing like he's just doing shit yeah, just going yeah. around in nineteen twenty nine when Wall Street crashed people didn't have time for flagpoles sitting <laughs> so there was a lot of soup line waiting. <laughs> <laughs> He's freaking out. I love it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John. There Fage. wasn't much time. There wasn't a lot of time. There wasn't. <laughs> Just money going around to handle the flagpole guy, you know. There's not a lot. There's not enough time to do all this flagpoles in the phone. The phone booth filled up. The goldfish. I got a belly full of goldfish. The, the, the goldfish ceviche is getting warm. Fucking motherfucker. Oh, for Christ's sake! I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <sighs> after so after that Wall, Wall Street crash, you know, because he would sit in the flagpole and people would just hand him money afterwards. It was like a fundraising thing. But after Wall Street, you know, there's none of that money going around. So he took on odd jobs. He became a gigolo. He was a oh. di- he was a dime hall dancer. But I sat on a few flagpoles as a gigolo. Might have been. He was described as a stocky, blue-haired, battered little Irishman. (laughs) (laughs) With sparse red hair. I like the phrase battered, though. Battered. It's a man who's been through some shit. So in 1952 was his last seating. So he was, you know, he he was almost 60 years old by then. Right, he was 50, 59, his last flagpole sitting in October in Texas for the Lions Club. There was a local Lions Club, and to raise money for them, he sat 65 feet up on a flagpole, and he had two heart attacks while he did it. Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> and so they made him come down. They're like, all right. Get down, you man, too! <laughs> two heart attacks. <laughs> 
What <laughs> in God's it? name? So like he, you know, sixty-five feet up, you know, he would, you know, sometimes he'd be sitting on a flagpole that was on top of a building. You know, so he wasn't always like ten feet up. Sometimes he was a hundred feet in the Jesus air, fucking just sitting on a wooden board on top of a, fu- a round ball. Yeah. Ew. Good God. So then, back in 1959, he was he was in New York City. No one knew who he was anymore. He was old, and he's crossing the street, and he got hit by a car and died. Good. Funny. Good. Funny. That's funny. Yeah. That is funny. The man, I always like that. The man who could Two heart attacks on a flagpole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's kills. not what kills you. No, 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 no. Not your life's work. No. You just cross the street like a fucking idiot. Yep. Cross the street. I love this shit out of that. Yeah, good. Love that. Good. And underneath his arm, they found a scrapbook of his life that he had made. Pulls to sit on. It was called, I shit you not, The Luckiest Man on Earth. Oh, my God. Good for him. Yeah, go fuck yourself. No, lo- I love that. He's, well, I, if, you, if you're going anywhere in life and you have a book under your arm that says the luckiest man on earth. You better get hit by a car. But, I mean, you're talking about yourself and good for you. His body wasn't claimed for over three weeks. <laughs> As luck would have it. <laughs> <laughs> And <laughs> John's having a conniption. <laughs> it's good to be back. Oh it is good God. to be back. But oh I, my God. so one of the last things to his story. So he married. He married a an ele, uh, he married an elevator operator, who he met when he was on the pole. Oh, for Christ's sake. It's a different phrase back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had one son. And his son, his one son, died in 1973 when he's work for, working for the Clyde Beatty Circus when an elephant picked him up and threw him to the ground, <laughs> killing him. <laughs> and then the elephant stepped on him in front of a live oh, crowd. Oh, my <laughs> good yeah. Lord God in heaven. The luckiest man the on luckiest earth. The luckiest man on earth. <laughs> <laughs> the current the current world record for flagpole sitting was set in 1984 by H. David Werdner, H. David Werdner, who sat in a flagpole to protest the price of gasoline for 439 days. Wow! Wow! And what the price of gasoline at that point was. 90 cents a gallon. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> I hate fads. Yeah. I don't like fads. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Wow. Em. I'm glad that... That's I'm, good stuff. I'm so happy. Yeah, I hate fads like that so much. Yeah. I'm happy that guy's kid got smashed. <laughs> no, by you're no, you're not. No, you're not. Fuck him. No, that, no, no. The gene pool ends there. <laughs> no. It ends there. Let me tell you about my favorite uh, campaign against high gas prices. No. This is the sign that said, uh, sick of high gas prices, question mark, lemonparty.org. Because it sounds like a party. It sounds like a political yeah, party. Yeah. To end yeah. the high gas prices. And, uh, you know, those guys aren't, those guys aren't buying any gas. <laughs> Those guys ain't going nowhere for a while. Forever, forever. As long as, uh, you know, the net is real, which isn't at all. Well, what is real? Hey, 
Guys, I think we're out of here. Yes. I think we are. Holy we did, we did a three-way. Yeah. We, we, Wasn't we, that fun? We, we ran was. a train that on was, each other. We ran a train oh, wow. on you, and you ran a train on me, <laughs> and you went to him, and oh. you know, me. Some acid got dropped, some kids got fucked, and yeah, some, uh, some goldfish got ate. Oh, <laughs> boy. Sorry. I, uh, I'm very remorseful. Sorry. Yeah. It's my deepest regret. <laughs> I love you, everybody. My name's John Fahey. Good night. Good night. Bad Bruce, good night. Aaron Peter. <laughs> <laughs>